live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Ah, Mike Spaulding makes me laugh from time to time. During the during his news, it, it's these unintentional stuff that gets worked in. Elizabeth Warren, she's reassessing her campaign. I, I, I like the word reassessing. My question would be, what is there left? to reassess Elizabeth Warren well let, let's let's face it I mean among the po- politicos yesterday obviously Mike Bloomberg the biggest loser he uh, but at least even though he just completely and totally peed away 500 million dollars at least he had it to pee away and he at least he won American Samoa he came in second in Colorado that's more that's more than Elizabeth Warren can say. Elizabeth Warren, who at one point in time was believed to be the front runner, she was going to be the chosen person. Um, it's her, her campaign has gone absolutely nowhere. First four Democrat contests, the New Hampshire primary, the Nevada caucus, the Iowa caucus, and South Carolina, she never finished higher than third place. Never higher than third place. And yesterday she was completely and totally blown out, including the fact that in her home state of Massachusetts, she ran third. She ran between behind Biden and behind Sanders. And, and uh, Joe Biden really didn't even campaign in Massachusetts. So when you're running third in your home state and you haven't been able to finish higher than third in any of the primaries, um, again, at some point in time, you have to sort of say, what is the purpose of continuing to stay on in the race? Now, like I say, at least at least Bloomberg, there, there's always going to be American Samoa. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, here's a little bit of a trivia question. Do you know why when the candidates get out of the race – why they say they are suspending their campaigns as opposed to just saying we're, we're dropping out of the race. Do you know why they've used that word suspension? Well, they could always return or something like that. Well, it's related to that because it has to do with delegates. Now, Pete Buttigieg, for example, he, he has a handful of committed delegates. He won, you know, he won delegates in Iowa and things like that. The way the rules work, at least on the first ballot at the convention, if you... If your campaign is suspended, that means you're still technically running. You're still in the race, even though you're not actively campaigning. You get to continue to keep control of the delegates. On the other hand, if you were to say, I'm done, I'm withdrawing from the race, what would happen is the delegates that you have won, they then get, it varies kind of from state to state, but essentially they get allotted under, uh, they go to the other candidates proportionately who are going to get delegates from the state. So let's say, let's say in, in Iowa, Buttigieg has 20 delegates for the sake of argument. I forget how many he actually has. By suspending his campaign, he continues to control those delegates on the first ballot. Um, whereas if he, again, just simply dropped out, what they would do is they would take those 20 delegates and they would divide them among other people that are getting it. Now, you might say, well, why, why would you want to do that? What does it matter? Well, theoretically, <clears throat> what you could do is you have your delegates who are presumably going to be people that are they're pledged to you. They're presumably going to be your supporters. So let's say you decide that you want your supporters to vote for Joe Biden. You've now endorsed Biden. If if you if they're your delegates, you can still control them. I mean, they're your people. You can say, hey, I, I know you're, you're pledged to me. I want you to vote for Biden. 
And um, the, in theory, at least, you would have the delegates who would do that. Well, I'm a Pete guy, but he's telling me to go to Biden. It gives you a little bit more control, which is why, they again, they always use the phrase suspended instead of I'm, I'm simply dropping out. Now, in the case of Elizabeth Warren, she hasn't been able to amass enough delegates that it would make any sort of significant difference at all. So where it is, um, Warren's White House run in serious doubt. Well, I think that that's probably a kind way to do it. And I think it is going to be interesting. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, going back and trying to figure out why it was that this person who for so many months was viewed as the, the leading candidate. She's a big time lefty. She's going to capture the female vote. She's got a plan for everything. She's got campaign organizations in all these states. And it just simply ended up going nowhere. Going to be something interesting for the political sciences, scientists to write about. And as I was saying earlier with Steve Scafidi when we were doing the, the handoff here, if you want to look at another big loser from last night, um, it's, it's the TV network's both local and national, I will tell you, I am sure that there are, God bless them, salespeople in every one of the TV stations in Wisconsin who were sitting there hoping against hope that Mike Bloomberg was going to stay viable until the Wisconsin primary in April. Because if he had stayed viable, you know that they would have been spend, they would have been buying every minute of TV time they could find and they'd be spending all sorts of money. Now that uh, Bloomberg is gone, well, will there be TV advertising? Of course there will be. But here you had somebody who was just willing to write as big a check as possible with no problem at all. All right. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's program. It is an abbreviated show. Brewers baseball starts a little bit before 2 o'clock. Brewers-related topic coming up a little bit later in the show. Let us get started. People are understandably freaked out about the coronavirus. You know, we've talked about this before. And the truth is, nobody knows for sure how bad this is going to be. I, I think there, there has been media hysteria about this. There's just no question in my mind that there's been media hysteria. But at the same time, I also appreciate the fact that, you know, we, we don't know the full extent of this, don't know how bad this is going to be. And particularly, you know, if you're somebody who ha- or has somebody close to you who has a compromised immune system, you, know, you got to be afraid of the flu and you certainly have to be afraid of the coronavirus. But but again, we don't know how bad and how devastating it is going to be. Unfortunately, There are people, every time there is a crisis, there are people who decide that that crisis brings about an opportunity. They are the profiteers. It's the people that show up after there has been a hurricane that has decimated an area that show up and want to start charging $5 for a bottle of water. Those are the types. And you are starting to see that right now with the coronavirus. All right, if you were to go on eBay right now, you could find a hundred at for a hundred and forty nine dollars you could buy a two pack of twelve ounce bottles of Perel hand sanitizer, maybe five dollars worth of hand sanitizer going for a hundred and forty nine dollars. How about a single container of Clorac Clorox wipes? $44.25. It would normally be two or three bucks. What you are seeing is one after another on Amazon, on Walmart, on eBay. You have all these third-party sellers that are doing nothing but gouging people for, again, routine products, products that would be three bucks were it not for a coronavirus sphere, now they're trying to charge $50, $100, for them. You've also, of course, had the run at a lot of stores on items like the, the wipes and uh, certainly the, the masks and things like that, the, the Lysol spray, all that sort of stuff. It's impossible to stay in stock. And there's a number of people that are out there that are filling a demand by gouging. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A number of states, including Wisconsin, have laws which prohibit um, essentially price gouging, profiteering on items when it comes to a state, if a state of emergency is declared. Now, it, 
I'm not sure there's any states thus far that have actually declared a state of emergency such to trigger, you know, these particular laws. But there's a lot of people out there that are doing everything they can to try to, again, take advantage of the situation and make a few dollars. I was having a discussion yesterday with somebody about this, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, what, what kind of low life? I mean, what kind of low life decides that, hey, um, I, I've got a whole, I've got cases of hand sanitizer that normally go for $2.50. I'm going to sell them for $50 because people can't get them anywhere else and I'm going to make some money. And I just, I was discussing this with someone and I, I think, I hope, they were just kind of playing devil's advocate. And the argument was, wait a second, Jeff, you're, you're a free market guy. You're, you're the guy that says that, you know, it's a supply and demand sort of thing. And, you know, you expect to pay more in times when there's more demand out there for a good. What's wrong with charging? If, if, if you can't find hand sanitizer, this is the argument, you can't find hand sanitizer around regularly. There is a shortage of it because of demand, and you happen to have cases of it. What's wrong with charging $50 for a 250 bottle of hand sanitizer? You're the free market guy, Wagner. What's wrong with this? And I said, well, there's lots wrong with it. But I want to discuss this with you. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I refer to what's going on now as price gouging and profiteering. Other people might say, hey, this is just the free market operating. If people, if there's a demand on hand sanitizer, you can't buy it at the local Costco or the local grocery store, and somebody's got access to it and wants to sell it for $50 for something that would normally cost 250 is there anything wrong with that? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be yes, but what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. A number of states, including Wisconsin, have laws that make price gouging in times of declared emergency illegal. Um, For example... You know, again, if there's a state of emergency because of a hurricane or a tornado and you roll into town with a bunch of bottled water that you want to sell for $10 a bottle when it normally costs 20 cents a bottle or whatever, you would be in violation of that law. Not all states have those. And at least thus far, I'm not sure any states have declared a formal state of emergency because of the coronavirus. As a result, what's happening is there's a number of people who are doing what I call price gouging. You can't find hand sanitizer in the stores, so they've stocked up and they're selling $2.50 hand sanitizers for 50 bucks or whatever. All right. Somebody I was talking to yesterday says, what's the big deal? It's the free market. I couldn't disagree more. Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I agree with you. It's just, it's just so sad. You know, there's some people who are really freaking out about this. And if I can do something to help, I'm in the healthcare industry, so I actually give it away right. because we obviously have an unlimited supply. But for people to do that, it's, it's really, it's, it's just so sad because, you know, they obviously feel that they need it or it is a necessity. And then you're going to, you know, rip them off by charging you know, quadruple the price. And then, you know, in a, six months when this goes away, it's going to be back down to 99 cents. It's right. just, it's shameful. Well, okay. Well, Chris, let me, let me, let me share with you a, a, a text I just received because I'm curious as to what you think. The texter says, Jeff, what about play? What about Packers tickets for playoff games or the Super Bowl? Markets dictate price. Don't buy them if you can get them cheaper. So, is a is a ticket to a Packers playoff game a high demand thing? Is that the same as hand sanitizer or sanita or, or wipes in the face of of a vi- a life threatening virus? I don't believe so because one is entertainment and recreation that you can live without, right. and the other one you may just stop a disease or if you have a child or an elderly person that you really need to clean your hands or or surface. Um, so I think one, you know, is kind of just, just recreation. Okay, yeah. you know, you, you can cough up the money for those tickets and cut back somewhere else. But this right. is this is obviously just kind of, you know, right. 
Yeah, see, I agree with you, know, you. And, and you, and you don't have to. Okay, you I mean if right. if if the, if the if the Packers playoff tickets, which is a luxury, are too expensive for you, fine. You watch the game on 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 TV. Watch it at a bar or at home right. anyway. Yeah, no, thanks. See that that to me that that is the distinction in times of emergency. Like I say, I, I'm a free market guy. I, I appreciate supply and demand when it's out there. If you um if you want to rent an apartment in a highly desirable area of town in a time where there's not many apartment vacancies you've got to expect to pay more if you want to buy a house in a time where it's clearly a, a seller's market there's not a lot of demand and you want to live in you know you got your heart set on living in whitefish bay well okay you know be prepared to pay more money to live in that particular area but but you don't you don't have to live there there's nothing that says that you don't have to buy the playoff tickets but when you look at situations like gee there's a hurricane that's blown through the, the water system is contaminated all right it, to me there's a difference where you say okay here um, I've got the bottled water I'm going to charge you $15 for the bottle of water well you need the bottle of water you don't need the Packers playoff tickets at least that's where I see the distinction and to me you know if you want to look up the definition of bottom feeder in the dictionary it's the people who swim in at a time of again crisis an emergency situation or whatever, and decide that we are going to exploit this. We're going to try to take advantage of people because we were, quote-unquote, smart enough to buy up all the hand sanitizer on the shelves at Costco. Glenn in Milwaukee. Glenn, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I agree with you in regards to the price gouging concept. I mean, it should be wrong. And in most states, in a situation like you were talking about, a hurricane or tornado, right. jacking the water prices up at the store is illegal. It's it's an actual yes. illegal act. But let's also consider the fact that the federal government mandated that you had to have EpiPens at high schools. Yep. And as soon as yep. that happened, the EpiPen companies jacked the prices from $17 a pen to $690 a pen. So if we're comparing apples to apples, what's the difference? Well, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know that there, if you're comparing, if you're talking about the, the EpiPen situation in particular, where you had one company that had the, the patent essentially and controlled all the EpiPens, and that's my recollection of what it was, and they just decided arbitrarily that they were going to charge a stupid amount of money for that, then you have a monopoly situation. So I guess I see that as a little bit different because you have the one company that had the monopoly situation and was exploiting the, the cost to make an obscene amount of money. Um, to me, the way you handle that is you say, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't allow you to have the monopoly situation anymore. But again, it's, it's times of emergency. This, that, and that, to me, is what the distinction is. It's in a time of emergency, common goods, I, I think you shouldn't be able to charge more than X times what their normal price would be. And the people that are going to do that and make the decision to do it, like I say, complete and total bottom feeders. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I have a text. Well, well, Jeff, what about airlines that charge more at spring break? Okay, I, I mean, no, I don't consider that to be price gouging. To me, that's a free market sort of thing. If there is heightened demand to go to a particular location, if Florida in March, say, and they know there's going to be increased demand, okay, that, that to me is the supply and demand thing. It, it's not price gouging because at the end of the day you don't have to go to florida you, you can make that choice to say i'm going to stay home for for spring break or i'm going to wait and go to florida when not as many people are booking their tickets that's just an economic choice but when you're starting to talk about okay charging 10 20 100 times what a thing of hand sanitizer has at a time where everybody is afraid that they're going to you know catch the flu so they want hand sanitizer that to me is the difference you're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I, I think there's something going on in the wake of the, the horrible shooting incident at Miller Brewing. I still call it Miller Brewing. I know it's Molson Coors, but I call it Miller Brewing. I, I think there, there there's two things that are going on. I think they have to be viewed separately. Unfortunately, there are some politicians who are mixing these things up in order, I think, to, 
I don't know, gain what they perceive as some political advantage. Now, so far, the police have been very, very tight-lipped about their investigation and what they think the motives were for the shooting, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Yesterday, Miller confirmed that five years ago, there was an incident where, and the shooter last week was African-American. They confirmed an incident a number of years ago, 2015, I believe, where they found a, a noose that was put on the locker of the guy who turned out to be the shooter five years later. They say they investigated it. They could never determine, you know, who put it there. And so you know, nothing ultimately came of it because they, they couldn't figure out who put it there. But that story is now surfaced and they have confirmed this. There is a huge story in the Washington Post today. Um, I want to share just a portion of it with you. The headline, and this is the Washington Post, so this is the way this is now starting to play out nationally a week after the the tragedy. The headline, noose found on gunman's locker at Milwaukee Corps' facility years before deadly shooting. Current and former employees of the Molson Corps' brewery here say there is a long-held culture of racism, including racist cartoons placed in workspaces, the N-word scrawled in break rooms and bathrooms, and nooses hung at the facility, one on the locker of an employee who killed five co-workers there last week. Police have not provided a motive for the February 26th rampage, which ended when the gunman killed himself inside the iconic brewery that has produced Miller beer for more than a century. Police have also not said racism played a part in the shooting deaths. That's interesting the way they, they write it. Police have also not said racism played a part in the shooting deaths. Uh, quote, I don't believe that was a factor, said Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales during an interview on our radio station. I believe that was an interview that he did with uh, John McCure later on. All right. So then the article goes on and it it documents instances where African-American workers have had problems at Miller over the years. And then here's one of the interesting points. They quote State Senator Lena Taylor, who is, of course, challenging Tom Barrett in the mayoral election in April. State Senator Lena Taylor, a Democrat who is running for mayor of Milwaukee, said she has spoken to employees since the shooting about what she characterized as a, quote, racially toxic environment, end quote, at the plant. Quote, based on what the colleagues have told me, the shooter had to deal with a lot, she said. So do I believe it was a contributing factor? Yes. There's no question I believe that the racial harassment was a contributing factor. I don't see how it would not be. End quote. All right, so so you got Lena Taylor weighing in on this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think to mix these things together at this point in time without having any solid evidence, I think is unfortunate. I think it is ill-considered. And candidly, I think people like Lena Taylor should know better. Now, look, I, I don't know. You know, whether or not there's widespread issues of of racial hostility at Miller, I I will say this. If there is, it's something that really hasn't bubbled over. I mean, you don't you don't hear about lots of lawsuits being filed by workers at Miller. and, And maybe it's because. Miller pays a lot of money. Maybe it's because you have employees that just don't want to want to rock the boat, whatever. But but I mean, it's not like you have regular reports of Miller being a toxic work environment. And I take no I don't work at Miller. I, I don't know whether that's the case or, or not. And you don't know. I mean, any example of, you know, racial harassment or whatever is one too many. So you don't know whether this is something widespread or whether this is just this occasional thing or whether some of the reports are over-exaggerated. Don't, don't know anything uh, about that. At the same time, you don't know the extent of any sort of, quote-unquote, racial harassment that the Miller Park shooter might have, the Miller Park, sorry, the Miller Brewer shooter might have been subjected to. Um, and you also don't know if, if that, 
if some incident that happened to him five years ago, if that was the, the thing that motivated him to do it, as opposed to, I don't know, I he, he's in a fight with or an argument with, you know, other employees, they don't get along, you know, whatever. We, we don't know. But I guess at this point in time, when I see, I don't know, the lady, the woman who wants to be the mayor of Milwaukee, going and interviewing with the Washington Post and saying, well, I, I, I have to believe that racial harassment in the workplace was a contributing factor to the murder. I don't see how at this point in time, without clear evidence to the to that point, especially given the fact that you've got the police department, the police chief, at least initially saying, you know, we, we, we don't we're not seeing that as a factor in the shooting to suggest otherwise, I think is irresponsible. And that's why I say that, you know, at, at least until we know a lot more to mix these two together. And that is what is starting to happen in the national narrative, I think, is unfair to Miller. It's unfair to the employees. And frankly, I don't think it, it's helpful. You can have a discussion about whether there are racial or racial harassment issues at Miller. All right, that that's fine. You can have a discussion about, to the extent it gets you anywhere, what the motives were for the shooter. But unless there's stuff that really connects the dots, I, I I think it's a dangerous and an unproductive conversation to have. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Yet that is precisely, again, the way the national narrative about this situation is starting to play out. Your thoughts. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Alan in Racine. Hello, Alan. Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, I, I'm just called to comment on what you were saying. Um, as far as tying those two things together, I don't think it's so much of tying them together. But, you know, what he, what that guy did was awful. I think he was, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a special kind of nut, a case to do something like that to people, yep. even if you have issues with racism. However... Um, I think that incident that did happen, and by the way, I want to, you know, say, uh, you know, I'm sorry, and I feel empathy for those who lost their lives and to their families, but it did shine a light on what goes on at that workplace and what goes on pretty much what across mm-hmm. the country. Me, as an African-American uh, male, I'm 41 years old, I've ex- I have myself experienced those types of racism and uh, different things at, at the workplace. Um, so, like I said, I don't think it's so much as, you know, tying it together. I mean, of course, Chief said there wasn't any evidence. I know you, you know, sometimes <laughs> I listen to your show a lot, and I like the way you approach a lot of things. Sometimes uh, I think you approach a lot of things from a lawyer's point of view. <laughs> it's okay. like, where's the facts? Where's the evidence? <laughs> but the thing about it is, it's, it's, um, it, 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 it happens. And I, I don't, you know, I think her being running for mayor, yeah, she should have, you know, did the, the right thing as a leader or what, to be leader and to keep quiet on it, to get the facts, just like you and, and the chief did. But it did shine a light on the problem that did happen, and it's happening in a lot of places, whether you believe it or not. Well, no, Alan, so, and, I, and I don't give I think I think that's fair, but that's what my point was. I, I, I see these as two distinct things. You know, has this pulled back the, sca- the, the scab? I mean, has is does... I'm calling it Miller Brewing. I understand it's Molson Coors. But, you know, does Miller Brewing, have they had a long-standing problem where, where persons of color are treated, in, are, tre- are harassed racially? Is there this environment of racial harassment that's been allowed to exist? I think that is a fair question, including the fact that yeah. now you have these stories that are coming up. And it's definitely a matter, I think, that's fair for discussion and fair for conversation. It's just taking that next yeah. step and trying to link it. That's where I have the problem. No, I think it's perfectly yeah, fair to yeah. say what the hell's going on at Miller Brewing. Has has there really exactly. been an environment? Uh, thanks to call. No, has there really been an environment of of racial hostility that's been going on for years and years that, for whatever reason, hasn't gotten the attention? Maybe it, is it because. Is it because Miller Brewing is such an icon, such an icon around here that people have looked the other way? Is it because 
uh, again, as I was saying earlier, that, that typically the people that work at Miller are, are very, very well paid. And so has it been one of these things where, okay, folks haven't wanted to, people haven't wanted to rock the boat because you know, there, there's good jobs. You know, you're, you're making $32 an hour doing something or other. You, you don't want to rock the boat. Um, is it overblown? I don't know any of the answers to that because I, I will tell you again sincerely, as somebody who has grown up in this area and grown up, you know, around, you know, taking the tours at Miller. And, and I've always thought of Miller as being this great corporate citizen. There are some businesses that you've always kind of heard rumors about that they've got this hostile work environment and things like that. And I've never heard that about Miller uh, until now. And now this is starting to come out. Again, I don't I don't know whether it's true or not. I, I'm just saying, and my point is, I think, and if if I approach things like a lawyer and I want to see the evidence, okay, guilty. I'll I'll accept that. But I mean, I think especially in today's racially charged climate, I, I think you you've got to be careful when you try to link acts of extreme violence to something that went on in the workplace and say, oh, this had to be due to racial harassment. I think you've got to be really careful doing that unless you've got the evidence to do it. We don't know why this guy did what he did. We, we, just, we just don't. I think all of us need to condemn the violence that is there and to link it again to a particular thing going on in the workplace without direct evidence of that, I think it's, I said, I stand by my statement. I think it's unfair and I think it's dangerous, which is to say I take no position on on what's been going on at the workplace at, at Miller, Brewing, Molson Coors, et cetera. And if, well, there, there's nothing that's going to be good that comes out of this. There's nothing that's good that comes out of it. But if this means that there has to be a more public dialogue involving, you know, the, the working conditions at that place, well, so be it. That, that's just what has to be. But I, I don't think it's good, healthy, productive, or fair to have that discussion in the context of, gee, was this a motivating factor for a guy who committed, you know, an incredible mass homicide? This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, it is my favorite sort of semi-political story of the day. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to this story, and, and she's actually my new hero for the day. Rude, you know what I'm talking about? Jill Biden. You see the story last night? Okay, so Joe Biden, big winner yesterday. I mean, you know, wins what he's going to, I think, win 10 states because he's going to win Maine at the end of the day. So he's won all these things. He's standing on the stage. As an aside, I do not understand why the former vice president, one of the leading candidates for Pres to be the next president of the United States, does not have Secret Service protection. I, 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 and I guess Bernie Sanders doesn't either. I don't get this. I freely acknowledge. I don't know what's going on. But anyhow, he's up on the stage. He's given his, oh, this is, this is great. And then you have this kook. One of these like like crazed vegans, you know, where like carrying some sign about dairy gets onto the stage and goes running right up at Biden. I, I mean, I'm sitting there and I, I was kind of watching the film clip of this and I'm thinking, I, you know, is, is it really gotten to this point where, you know, you can get that close to somebody who might be the next president of the United States? And I'm, I was wondering, like, where is the Secret Service? And apparently he doesn't have Secret Service protection, which is he he should have Secret Service protection. I don't care what you think about Joe Biden. He should have Secret Service protection. Bernie Sanders should have Secret Service protection. But I, I was just stunned that you get this crazy woman who goes running onto the stage and essentially gets right next to him wearing the sign. Well, OK, who is it? Who is it that takes care of the nutty vegan? It's Jill Biden. I, I've got, again, I've got a link to this. If you follow me at Jeff Wagner 620, Jill Biden, I mean, she goes Bruce Lee on this woman. I mean, she just kind of grabs her and boom, she bum rushes her off the stage. And then you get another kook that comes running onto the stage and the same thing happens to her. So, I mean, and you know, when I saw this, here's, here is what I thought. And I, I sent this out again on, on Twitter. Be warned. Because if you happen to attend an event that I'm at and I'm emceeing, be warned, because I can see my lovely wife, Fran, going Jill Biden on anybody that tries to bum rust the stage that I'm on. You just you have to love the women in our lives, don't you? I mean, like like Joe, he's standing there. He's and I get it. I mean, he's he's concentrating the crowd. He's not thinking you're going to get somebody running up from behind. But Jill, she she sees this and it's like, hey, this crazy chick isn't getting anywhere near my husband. And again, she just 
you know, she goes Clint Eastwood on him and just grabs him, makes my day, and she you know, hauls him off. I just, whatever you think about Joe Biden, you got to love Jill Biden because that's that's the woman behind the man who, when you know, when you talk about your spouses having your back, well, she literally had his back yesterday. No Secret Service, but I guess you don't need all the guys with the sunglasses and the guns when you've got Jill Biden. I absolutely loved that yesterday, and I was sitting there thinking, you know, that's that's my wife. You know, somebody if somebody would start charging the stage, she would be the first one. She's little, but she's tough. She'd be the first one throwing her body away, saying, you're not getting anywhere near him. So I just, I absolutely love that. If you have not seen the video, again, I've got a link to it. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. But it was just, I'm telling you, Jill Biden, one of my new heroes, no question about it. Okay, coming up in the next hour of the program, how can you possibly spend $500 million and only win American Samoa? We're going to talk about that. The Brewers prepare to make a $200-plus-million-dollar commitment to Christian Yelich. We discuss that. And dogs in parks. I will explain. Stick around. It's all coming up right after the news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric built that. Were you surprised that those two women were just able to run up on the stage last night with yes. Senator Biden? Oh, yeah. my gosh. My heart dropped. I wasn't sure what was going to happen there. It is. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting because it, it's a, the, the way the law works, the way I understand this, is major candidates for president automatically get Secret Service protection 120 days before the election. Okay. That's kind of the way the law works. But they they can give it to candidates earlier. For example, Barack Obama, um, he was elected in November of 2008. So follow me. November 2008. He announced he was running for president in February of 2007. And in May of 2007, a couple months later, he got Secret Service protection because obviously the nature of the candidate, the campaign, and yep, yep. Uh, and he was, he was apparently getting threats and things like that. So, I mean, he had Secret Service protection for like a year and a half, you know, when he was running before he was running for office, and and certainly appropriate so, appropriately so, which does kind of raise the question about where you have whether it's a Bernie Sanders or a, a Joe Biden or whatever when you're sitting here. I don't know, seven months before the election, eight, nine, eight or nine months before the election, where is the Secret Service? And this wasn't the first time Jill Biden has gotten in the way of a protester. It's happened before. Right. I, I have to admit, one of the first things I thought, though, was whether or not maybe some of these campaigns, like a Biden campaign, wouldn't even have the money to be able to hire security. And until you wait until you get to that well, point well, where right. you can get the Secret Service stuff. Right, because it is, it is, in fact, expensive. Um, you know, Interestingly enough, John McCain. John McCain w- was offered Secret Service protection about the same time that uh, Barack Obama was offered it, mm-hmm. well in advance, and, and he turned it down. He because some candidates just just view it as as a they, they don't think it's necessary, and they view it as a nuisance because sure. I mean obviously the secret if you got Secret Service protection. Your life it changes, changes. Yeah. right? Exactly. You're you're not free to do everything that you might want to do, um, and so so McCain turned it down, um, even though he was you know he he was clearly the the putative you know Republican nominee uh, until about a year later. But I guess I'm I'm looking at this stuff, and it's the ultimately it's the director of Homeland Security that I guess makes the call. There's a there's a committee, but after yesterday. I, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, certainly for for Bernie Sanders and for for Joe Biden, I, I'd, I'd be sending yeah, some Secret Service yeah. agents out there because, like I say, the, these were a couple like kooky vegans, you know. But but it could have been some nut, right. you know, some some nut with a gun is what the scary thing is. And you know how toxic it's been and how divisive it's been. You just you you just don't know. Right, right. Absolutely no. And again, this it, it, this transcends politics. It's just wow. I mean, you, here you have somebody who is. One, uh, however, the elections turn out next November. One of the leading candidates to be the next leader of the free world, and 
you, you know, you, you've got the, these kooky women that can just like run up on the stage, not one, but two and get right behind it. And I, and again, as I was saying earlier too, I, I, Jill Biden's kind of my hero. She reminds me of my wife. My wife would, would be taking no prisoners if somebody was <laughs> bum rushing the stage. And Jill Biden was just the same way. It was like, boom, you know, yep, yep. I'm going to take you out. Gotta love that. Okay. Um, Brewers baseball coming up at two o'clock before daylight. This is, this is the week where there are games when there are spring training games that we are carrying on WTMJ today and on Friday, the coverage starts at 2 o'clock. After, after this week, after daylight savings time goes into effect, the, the game, it, it's, it's 3 o'clock. Because I think Arizona doesn't follow daylight saving time. I think that's the dynamic. But the, the games, the, the time change doesn't, I think, affect Arizona. But in any event, we've got Brewers baseball coming up at 2 o'clock both today and then later on uh, coverage of the Bucks. So it's a big sports day here at WTMJ. All right. I, I was alluding to this earlier. I have a why question that I want to discuss with you. The, the big political losers yesterday, Elizabeth Warren runs third in her home state of Massachusetts. And again, keep in mind, last October, I mean, Elizabeth Warren was viewed as the darling of of the left. New York Times endorses her. As I was saying this yesterday, the New York Times, and I read it so you don't have to, has for the last six months written one absolutely fawning slash adoring story about Elizabeth Warren after after another. She was going to be this, she's the progressive candidate. She's the smartest woman that's in the room. She's got this, she's been running for president for years. She's got this whole organization. And, and I know that there's a lot of the liberal intelligentsista who just can't exactly figure out what, what went wrong with the Warren campaign. So she's clearly one of the two big political losers last night she of all the different you know primaries that she's been in she's never come in higher i think than than third and and she runs third in her home state of massachusetts that kind of tells you that really there there's no there's no recipe moving forward i mean what's what's going to happen that's going to change the dynamic and the answer is probably nothing the the other of course big loser and you can't you you can't just discount this um michael bloomberg who had, I think, an impeccable resume. I mean, here you have a guy who was the the leader of New York City for 12 years. You know, you have a guy who's a self-made businessman. You have a guy who has, I, I don't know, he, he's been, regardless of how, for example, you feel on gun control, you know, if, if you if you are one of those people who believe that we haven't done anywhere near enough on gun control and things like that. Bloomberg has been an advocate of this. Bloomberg is a guy who I would think would fit squarely in the, the moderate Democratic, the, the moderate as it come across as a moderate Democrat. He's not nuts like Bernie Sanders who wants to essentially destroy the free market system. He's a guy who, again, has a track record. He's a moderate liberal. He's somebody that I think people could look at and say, okay, I could see a way to support him. And he's also got as much money as God. He spent five hundred million dollars in national average he had an ad on the super bowl for goodness sakes he spent 500 million dollars in advertising primarily in the super tuesday states he had paid organizers he had people on the ground i mean it was an amazing expenditure of dollars and and yesterday he, he got almost nothing he won american samoa Right. He came in second in Colorado, and otherwise nothing. I mean, he he ran if if he was trying to be viewed as the other mo- moderate alternative to Joe Biden, that that just went nowhere. I mean, Bernie, Bernie, I'm sorry, you had Michael Bloomberg who spent a ton of money in some of these states. Joe Biden had no presence at all in some of these states, and, and Biden beat Bloomberg like a drum. So you know, to his credit, Bloomberg, ever the businessman. Uh, apparently sits down with advisors today and says, all right, I just, I, 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 I'm a numbers guy. I'm looking at the numbers. I see no path to the nomination. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to support Joe Biden. But there were a lot of people over the course of the last couple months who thought that Bloomberg could, in fact, be a credible alternative to an Elizabeth Warren or to a Bernie Sanders, to that, that far kind of kook left wing of the Democrat Party.
party. And yet Bloomberg went absolutely nowhere. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a why question for you, and that is, why did Bloomberg fail so badly? What happened? Because like I say, you look at the guy on paper. He, he's got all the credentials. You look at the unlimited wallet that he had. You look at the slickly produced TV advertising. In, in many respects, Bloomberg had it all going for him, and nothing came together. Where did it go wrong? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. So what went wrong? I mean, seriously, how can you spend $500 million in slickly produced TV advertising? How can you have a resume like Mike Bloomberg had, and at the end of the day, after all that, what do you do? You win American Samoa and run second in the Colorado Democratic primary. Let's start with Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the reason why is, you know, and, I, and I've, I've run for office, and the fact of the matter is he didn't, in an essence, knock on the doors. Uh, he tried. He didn't earn it. He tried to buy it. Um, you know, and that that was that was the bottom line to, mm-hmm. to that campaign. Uh, you know, he didn't he didn't get in the mud and start, you know, with the first door mm-hmm. uh, that, that we all had to start with and, and knock on that. You know, that 100th and that 1,000th and, you know, that 10,000th story. Right. So, I mean, he was just perceived, you think, as this kind of rich guy who thought he would swoop in who was too good for campaigning in the snow in New Hampshire or for, you know, showing up at the coffees with 15 people in, in Des Moines, Iowa, or, or any of that stuff. You think that yeah. really hurt well, that's, him? Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. And, you know, the American electorate is not stupid. Um, you know, with even with the division that we have, right. there are people out there that respect that. They respect the the first door being knocked, yeah. and he didn't do that. No, that, I, th- that's I think my take. No, thanks. I mean, I, I think there there is an element to that. I mean, it's. I think it's it's one thing to have these slickly produced commercials. It's one thing to to spend the money and kind of create this image, but then you you have to back it up to that to that end. Um, his debate performances, and we talked about this uh, on both occasions. His debate performances were pathetic, and, and I was, I was stunned because here you have a guy. Did I expect him to be Donald Trump? No, but this guy was the mayor of New York. I mean, I, he's got to be used to rough and tumble New York politics, and he just he looked ill prepared. He had this deer in the headlight look, you know. I mean, Elizabeth Warren. For, for whatever her flaws are and, and whatever her failures as a candidate were, she just absolutely, you know, eviscerated Bloomberg, especially during that first debate, and I don't think he ever recovered from it. Now, if he had come across during that first debate as a, as a forceful, powerful leader, I, I wonder, I mean, I seriously wonder whether or not the dynamic might have been different. But candidly, I just don't think he ever recovered from that horrible sort of performance. And I think there were a lot of people who might have considered voting for him, but just had this impression that the guy's a rich guy, but he's essentially from, he's an empty suit. Now, I don't know that I think that that's fair, but but you couple, if given that debate performance, I, I think that probably killed him. Rich in Milwaukee, Rich on WTMJ, hello. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for taking my yes, call. Uh, two things right out of the gate. Uh, um, Bloomberg is was predominantly a Republican yep. before he turned Democrat. So a lot, uh, a lot of people just didn't trust him. A lot, a lot of Democrat primary voters exactly. just were suspicious. Yep, I think that's true too. Exactly. No trust. Uh, item two. He's another rich guy, just like Trump. Yeah. We've had enough of Trump. Right. And the story. Could be. No, I mean, well, I mean, again, I, that, I mean, his story, it, it is interesting. His story was I'm kind of the anti Trump, but I'm the guy who's got a big enough wallet that I, I can stand up to Trump. I can spend the money to do that. It didn't work for Tom Steyer, who really had no resume at all. And it, it didn't, Steyer spent $250 million, got nothing. At least Bloomberg won American Samoa. But, um, 
I, I think that that's I, I do think that people were skeptical because, I mean, here you have the Republican mayor of New York. Now, again, he was kind of Republican in name only, but it's not like he's a guy that was in a year where, I mean, some Democrats, the Bernie Sanders wing, are looking for, like, radical change in this country, and other people are looking for somebody who can beat Donald Trump. Um, I, I mean, Biden was just a superior alternative, I think, and, and, and Bloomberg was just never able to break through. I, I do think it would have been much more interesting if the debate performance hadn't been as abysmal as it was because that kind of and, and I, I keep going back to that I was actually thinking about that last night as I'm looking at how pathetic these turnouts are and I'm, I'm thinking how could how could Bloomberg have been as unprepared as he seemed to be for the, these various attacks that were going to be launched against him Sasha in Milwaukee you're on WTMJ hi, hi. Um, yeah one one thing is, is that there are a lot of people that were on the ground in all the states. I have multiple friends that got hired on the campaign, including up in, in um, all around the state of Wisconsin and right, in the, Milwaukee. You're talking so about I Bloomberg think, campaign, the paid paid workers yeah, for the Bloomberg yep, campaign. Yep. They were on the ground and they were doing calls and they were annoying the heck out of me. Um, so I know that's for a fact. But the thing is, is that I don't think he was really, he was talking about some issues, but he wasn't humanizing himself. Mm-hmm. And so he just looked like the rich dude that came in and swooped in. He didn't really talk about himself, just him as as in the person who was a mayor, the person who has all this money, the person who was doing whatever. And he wasn't really just talking about, like, poverty or this or that. He just kind of, like, grouped, like, he grouped all the black people together and said, like, this was the policy plan and grouped this and said this was right. the policy plan. But let's talk about the poverty and let's talk about the homelessness that's going on. And, um, and, and I think he needed to talk about him and how he got to the place he was at. I mean, did he come from humble roots? If he came from humble roots, sure. say so. If this is what happened, say so. But you're not connecting with the with the people, and and people have already seen that with Trump. And so, and he's t- talking about how to defeat Trump, and he's not talking about himself. Mm-hmm. So I think he just made a few, a, a couple of errors that you, and you already knew Biden. You knew Biden's right. story. You knew Biden's uh, story with his family and everything. So he was humanized. You, you know, know, it's interesting. I know Biden some. I know some people who know who know Bloomberg um, from New York and stuff, and they say he's a really good, uh, you know, one-on-one, he's a really decent, compassionate guy. That That's what they, the people I know who know him like him a lot. You know, they say he's really, for somebody who's a billionaire, he's surprisingly down-to-earth. But that, I, but I agree, that didn't come across. Campaign. Yeah. yeah, it didn't come through at all. Do you think it would have been different if he had gotten in the race earlier? Was it a mistake to bypass New Hampshire and Iowa and some of those early primary states? I think he should have came in earlier and at least, you know, he could have did a soft launch. He could have did a soft something and did something instead of it being like, oh, I'm just going to come in and just do whatever and and bypass the states because I know I can win the other states. Like, I think it should have been trying to do a traditional campaign, trying to uh, come in and probably get a few delegates in all the little states. I mean, just skipping it is, is not, you know, the best way because those people there they could use their social media. They can talk to their friends in other states. They can do whatever. Even if you're not on the ballot, you still should do some of that of that kind of ground game and that kind of exposure. And I think he should have did a lot more interviews. I don't really see any interviews like on TV or on the well, um, on like no. It, it was all. Know, all I'm going to spend half. Know. I'm going to spend half a billion dollars, and I'm going to try to try to. Thanks for calling and and try to control my message. I, I I do I do think this is another demonstration of the fact that for people who think they can. They can bypass the system. If I bypass the system, I mean, they can wait. We we don't we don't have to show up in South Carolina. We don't have to show up in New Hampshire. We don't have to show up in Iowa. Um, people who try to do that, it doesn't necessarily work, and it sure blew up in the face of Michael Bloomberg. I, I thought he was going to be an interest, interesting candidate, and and he's not going to go away. I mean, my guess is he's going to be spending a ton of money to try to, in this case, support the Biden campaign. I'm just, it's an interesting, the, the, when they go back and they write the history of the 2020 race, some of the fascinating stories are going to be the complete and total failure of Elizabeth Warren to get any traction and the, the absolute just, you know, the blow up of, of Bloomberg, who's demonstrated once and for all that I guess in the world of politics, money isn't everything. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I do not say this because I am a Brewers fan or we carry the Brewers on the station that I work at. I, I think I actually think the Brewers team this year is going to surprise a lot of people. I, I think it's a up and down the lineup. I think it's a 
Overall, it's a better team than last year. I think the pitching is better. I understand you lose Yosemite Grandal, the catcher, and it's going to be tough to replace him. And, and Mike Moustakas was a fan favorite. But up and down the lineup, I, I think this is a stronger team, and, and I think they're I think they're going to do better than next, last year. That, that's just kind of what, what I think. I understand some fans have been skeptical because, well, okay, they've, they've reduced the payroll. Well, they've reduced the payroll because they didn't overpay to keep Mustakas or, or Grandal. But they've, you know, they, they've got a, a deep team. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. I think they surprised the number of people yesterday with the story that they are apparently on the verge of signing Christian Yelich, who is arguably, you could argue he's the best player in baseball. He's certainly one of the two or three best. The Brewers are apparently on the verge of signing him to what would essentially be a seven-year contract extension. There's two years left on his current contract, which everybody agrees is a below-market-value contract. Um, Then there's a team option. Apparently, how they structure it, they, they haven't announced yet. But bottom line is, if this deal goes through, and it's being reported as kind of a done deal, the Brewers are going to commit $210 million over the course of the next nine years to keep Christian Yelich as a as the face of the franchise and as a Milwaukee Brewer, again, for the next nine years. This is this is. Unprecedented, almost unprecedented. I mean, these these enormous long-term contracts, you, you only see them in a handful of situations. In addition, in this particular case, I think there were a lot of people, myself included, who were skeptical about whether or not the Brewers would be able to keep Christian Yelich long-term because oftentimes in sports, it, it gets to be kind of this, this giant game how, you know, players want to be the, paid the most money. Uh, we, we, I want to be the highest paid player in, in baseball. And, you know, Christian Yelich was due to be a free agent three years from now. And consuming that he continues to play at his level, he could have been the highest paid player in baseball. It was easy to see he could have probably gotten $35, $40 million a year if salaries continued to progress. Yelich left money on the table by taking this deal. Now, at the same time, he's going to earn $210 million. He's set. His family is set. His kids are set. His grandkids are set. His great-grandkids are, are set. So, I mean, the Brewers have stepped up. It is a long-term deal. It is a commitment that I think, you know, you, you needed both sides to be willing to make. Yelich obviously likes it in Milwaukee. He obviously likes team ownership, and he's decided he wants to be here for his career. The Brewers' management was willing to step up and make an enormous commitment of resources to keep him there, assuming that he is going to be performing. I mean, right now, he's just moving into the the best years of his career, and they're willing to pay to have this guy be the face of the franchise. So I, I was when I heard this story, 200, 210 million dollars my reaction was i'm really glad the brewers stepped up i'm glad they got this done and i think it is going to be great that we're going to have a player like a christian yelich who is going to spend not his whole career because he was at miami for a couple years but is now going to spend a good chunk of his career as a milwaukee brewer did the brewers do the right thing by going ahead and making this commitment, 855-616-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. From my perspective as a fan, I could not be happier. And I think this also says a lot, not just about the Brewers organization, but it says a lot about Christian Yelich, that he's he's willing to leave arguably some money on the table and take the guarantee to be in a place that he likes to be. And that's a win-win for everybody. All right, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Brewer Baseball coming up in just a couple minutes. The big news yesterday were the reports that the Brewers and Christian Yelich are about ready to agree to a deal which would keep Yelich as a member of the Milwaukee Brewers for the next nine seasons. Essentially, buying out his free agency at a cost of 200 to 210 million dollars that's a ton of money a huge commitment for the franchise but the truth is if yelich 
had decided to wait a couple years and go into free agency, he would be leaving the Brewers and probably earning more money during the free agency years. He obviously wants to be here. The Brewers want him to be here. As a Brewers fan, I'm thrilled. James in Milwaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, I think it's a big mistake. I really do. Even though he's proven that he's an MVP and that, but looking at the big uh, contracts they've given, like Ryan Braun and a few of these other players and stuff, um, history-wise and that, I'd have to say no. I I think you'd be better off letting him go, uh, letting him maybe even play out his couple years here yet on, uh, on his regular contract and let him go. Ah, James, James, James. I, I mean, I I understand it's a risk. I, I, I get it. But you are talking about a, a potentially transformational player. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy who has demonstrated last year, if he hadn't gotten hurt with about 30 games left, he would have probably been the National League most valuable player for the second year in a row. He is the guy, type of player that you can build a team around. And, and he's a guy who's clearly not a mercenary and wants to be in Milwaukee. And so I guess when you see somebody like that who is on track to be a Hall of Fame baseball player. You know, I mean, again, I, you, yes, you, you can get injured. Your skills can completely fall apart. But but if you watch Christian Yelich play, I, I think you look at him and you see a special player. I watch this guy run the bases, and it, it reminds me of Robin Young. It, it's just, I mean, and he's going to be in Milwaukee for, you know, the next nine years on top of the last couple. I mean, that that's a chance for a generation of Brewers baseball players to watch somebody. Now, again, I understand that there is a risk, but, man, I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch Christian Yelich play ball for I don't know the New York Yankees. I don't want to watch him play ball for the California Angels. I want to watch him, you know, play ball for the Brewers. Lots of text, Jeff. This was a tremendous deal for both sides. Christian is a generational talent that embodies Milwaukee baseball and is the perfect face of the franchise. By leaving money on the table, we can still go out and spend some in free agency. Um, yes, yes. This is a guy who's great to build around. I'm just absolutely thrilled that he's going to be a member of the Brewers for the next 10 or 11 years. And, you know, I I don't know how it's going to look in. I don't know how it's going to look in year eight or year nine. But I'm telling you, year one of the deal, it looks pretty good. Brewers baseball is coming up. I'm back 12 noon tomorrow when we do this all again. Enjoy the great weather. Have a great Wednesday. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.